Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Today's reading is taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 1, reading through to chapter 4, verse 13. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God had said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, 
as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give account. Do you know anyone who has stopped calling themselves a Christian? If you've been around in Christian circles for a while, you'll probably know someone. I wonder whose name comes to mind for you. I think back to my first church job when I led a youth group down in London and I can sort of run through um, the names of the children in that youth group in my mind. It was just a small youth group, sort of 10 or so, but I had a really great time with them. And as I think back to them, you know, I can think of a number who are doing really well as Christians. It's great to think of them. But there are others uh, who I hear bits of news about who are not doing so well. Two come to mind in particular, a guy and a girl from, uh, from good Christian families who came regularly to the youth group. You know, the guy, I've met up with him most weeks to play pool and do a little Bible study together. And then a couple of years down the line, I hear news that they're not involved anymore. They're not at church. And, and now they're certainly not believing. It's sad for me to think of them. And I wonder who it might be for you. Maybe for you, it was an acquaintance, not someone that you knew particularly well. Uh, You didn't sort of see them drifting off, but you've heard about it, uh, that they're not calling themselves a Christian anymore. Maybe you saw they posted online something about deconversion. Or maybe it was someone you did know, someone you were closer to, perhaps someone in your small group, and you, you kind of saw it happening, and now thinking about it, you wish maybe you'd said something to them. But they're gone now and it's too late. Maybe for some, it's really close to home. Perhaps it could be children no longer believing. And it breaks your heart. And there's nothing you wish for more than for them to come back to Christ. People do stop believing It's deeply sad and it's not a theoretical issue. It's a possibility for each one of us. Maybe for some of us today, it doesn't feel like anything like that could ever happen for us. We're feeling the joy of the Lord. Well, we'll give thanks. Praise God that that's how you're feeling. But don't ever take it for granted. For others, it might be right now how you are feeling. You're feeling like you're drifting. You're you're finding it hard. You're questioning things, but maybe you're too scared to tell anyone. You don't want to let the side down. But you know it's not theoretical for you. Well, this is the theme of today's passage. Believers sometimes give up 
So what can we do? Well, probably the most important thing to say straight away from this passage is that we're in it together. The instructions are for all of us to look out for each one of us. So today, we're not just thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about each other. We're thinking about our friends. We're thinking about our family, our brothers and sisters in Christ here at church. How can we help them keep believing? Now, just to say this passage might be hard work for us. It was quite a long passage, wasn't it, as we read it? Um, Long, but it's all still on the same idea, though perhaps a little tricky to handle. I'm not going to be able to talk about every verse, for example. Second, this passage has quite a lot of Old Testament references in. There's this large quotation from Psalm 95. It's quoted at length. Numbers 12 to 14 is uh, referred to throughout too. There's a lot going on in this passage. But hey, remember this. Hebrews has told us already, hasn't it, that we have to work hard at listening to the word of God. So perhaps in a funny way, this is our opportunity to work hard at listening. Well, let's get into this. Our first point is this. Let's help each other because our hearts might harden. Let's help each other because our hearts might harden. This is chapter 3. In Hebrews so far, we've seen that the danger is drifting, not sticking with Jesus, not keeping uh, going with the word of God. But now the warning comes even more frankly. I think verses 12 to 14 give a good summary. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. So you see it's a plea to look out for each other. To stop each other from turning away. To to keep our faith to the end rather than hardening our hearts to God. So we must encourage one another daily. Now, the rest of the chapter, it looks back to the Old Testament, this, uh, to the Old Testament history, and it makes the point that it's happened in the past and it could happen again. It's happened to others, so it could happen to you. That long quotation in verses 7 to 11, that's from Psalm 95. It's a psalm written by David warning his people not to make the same mistake that the people at the time of Moses made. And the writer of Hebrews is quoting it to tell us also not to make that mistake. And the key line in that psalm is the opening one. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's quoted again in verse 15. It's quoted again in chapter 4. It's really important. Let's help each other because our hearts might harden. So what is the story from the time of Moses that David and the Hebrew writer are throwing us back to? Verses 16 to 19, give a little summary. If you want to read the full story for yourself, it's Numbers 12 to 14. But it goes a little like this. God rescued his people from Egypt. The great rescue of the Old Testament, the, uh, the Passover and the Exodus. 
And, uh, and God said that he would bring the people to the promised land, this amazing land. You know, the Bible refers to it as the land flowing with milk and honey. They could live there happily ever after. It's actually of a picture of the Christian life. If you remember, the, the, the exodus is the great rescue. Jesus dying on the cross to save us. And there's this journey, which is the Christian life. And there's the promised land, the hope for heaven in the end. Well, the Israelites, they were on this journey. But they started to lose faith. They, they lost faith in Moses, their leader. And they didn't believe that God was speaking through him. They didn't believe that God really would lead them to that promised land at the end. And so they started grumbling and complaining. And, and it became full-on rebellion. And unbelievably, they decided they wanted to go back to Egypt. Oh, so foolish. It was, um, it was just outrageous. They'd so quickly forgotten what it was like back there and what God had done to, to rescue them. And they didn't believe that God would see them through to the end. They didn't believe. And so they gave up and their hearts were hardened. That's the story back at the time of Moses and David writes to his people, Psalm 95, saying, don't do that again. And Hebrews writes to us, quoting Psalm 95, saying, don't do that again. It happened in the past. It could happen again. It happened to others. It could happen to you. So we must help each other not to let our hearts go hard. When do... Hearts go hard. How do hearts go hard? And how can we help each other? Well, hearts go hard when the word of God is no longer allowed in. We lock down in a spiritual sense. We, uh, we don't let the word of God come in and affect us and shape us. Verse 12 describes it as having a sinful, unbelieving heart. Turning away from the living God. But verse 13 describes it as happening because of sin's deceitfulness. So we don't just turn away one day. We, we're lulled into it. When we're not on our guard. When we're not actively uh, making an effort. When we don't see what's happening. And before we know it, we're closed off to the word of God. Now, this is clear if you, if you think about when people actually do stop believing. I, I wonder, those people that you thought of. Well, often it happens when people make a move in life, don't they? I have friends who, who stopped being Christian when they, when they went to, off to university. Or, or others who stopped when they, they left university and, and moved somewhere for a new job. Or a good friend of mine, he became a Christian here. But he moved back to China and, and he gave up. But it isn't, it isn't that like on that day when they move, they decide, I'm going to stop being a Christian right now. It's that the move becomes an opportunity to let other things take over. You know, they didn't make an effort to find a church. And they thought that they'd be all right on their own. But they were deceived. And their hearts became closed off to God. It happens. Often it happens as well with a lifestyle change, doesn't it? You know, I think of people who, who they get a non-Christian boyfriend or girlfriend and, and they don't 
think at that moment that they're going to stop being a Christian, but it changes them. Or someone discovering a new group of friends who lead them astray. Or or someone gets a new job and it just takes over their life. And these changes mean that gradually their Christian involvement drops off. Their desire for Jesus fades away. And before they know it, they're hardened to the word of God. Or when something bad happens in life, some suffering, some hurt done to you and the hardness towards God just starts to grow. Or, or on the other hand, someone who makes a big mistake, they, they embarrass themselves or they hurt others and, and then they just, they just drift away. They can't quite face coming back. Or just that slow, generic drift. This is where the pandemic scares me. Who's drifting? Who's been drifting away this last year and we don't even know? You know, our small groups, they do a great job at keeping an eye out for people. But surely, inevitably, during this last year, some people will be gone or in danger of not coming back. Hearts slowly, but definitely hardened to God. So I wonder if you know anyone who might fit the bill. Well, we must help them. It might be you. If so, please tell someone. And how do we help? Well, we've got to pray for them. And then we've got to say something. You know, at the very least, a text message. Send a message to someone and say, I'm praying for you today. Or send a verse or, or send an encouragement. Better yet, send a letter. Or a phone call, or or go around, knock on the door, say hello. And actually have a Christian conversation. From this week, we can invite people around into our homes, can't we? And then we can have a Christian conversation. You know, we're Christians and, you know, we can talk about anything. But actually having that Christian conversation is quite hard, isn't it? It can be a little bit awkward for many of us. But in order to help someone. We must break through that awkwardness and say something. I have learned that it's so good actually just to say something, to ask someone how they're doing with Jesus. To tell someone a truth you've been encouraged by. We must encourage one another daily. Daily, not just on Sundays. Perhaps every day, you know, we, many of us will be doing sort of a quiet time in the morning. We're thinking, you know, how am I receiving God's word? But then we could be thinking, and now who could I encourage? Who could I text? Who could I make a plan to contact today? Let's help each other because our hearts might harden. Now let's move to chapter four. Uh, we'll be a little bit briefer here. And it's the same idea. But it's just looked at from a different angle. The writer of Hebrews, he's a bit like a car showman. You know, he says, we've seen this side. Now let's come around and have a look at it from this side. Here's another reason to buy the car. Well, here's another reason to help each other. Let's help each other because what's promised is worth it. Let's help each other because what's promised is worth it. 4 verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... 
Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have heard the good news proclaimed to them just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Again, there's more to unpack from the Old Testament, but it's clear just from this, isn't it, that this is uh, an encouragement to help each other. It's everyone looking out for each one. You see, the promise is for us. There's a promise for the future, which we've got to hold on to, to keep believing in. But not everyone will. And we know that because of what happened in the past. Again, back to the time of Moses. The Israelites, they were on this journey, this journey from Egypt to the promised land. And as I said, they start grumbling. They start complaining. They're not believing. And in the end, they rebel against God. And do you know, they were so close to the promised land. They were just on the other side of the River Jordan. They'd even sent spies in to go and look at the land. They were so close, but they they wouldn't go in. They didn't believe that God would actually give it to them. They were scared of the people already in the land. And so in response, God was angry with them. God said they would never be allowed in. They were sent to wander again in the desert for 40 years until that whole generation had died. And then God said he would lead their children in. And the writer of Hebrews picks up on one key line. What God said to the people is quoted in verse 3. They shall never enter my rest. They shall never enter my rest. And he builds on this idea throughout the rest of the chapter. What is rest? It's an interesting expression, isn't it? He could have said uh, they will never enter the promised land. It would have meant the same thing, wouldn't it, to them at the time. But he said they will never enter my rest. Why has he chosen to describe it like that? Well, I think he's showing that something bigger is going on here. God's rest is an important theme in the Bible. It starts right back at the, old, in the beginning of the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Uh, God created the world in six days, didn't he? And on the seventh day, he rested. And Adam and Eve, they were there and they were granted to be with God and to enjoy rest with him. But they turned away from him. And they were thrown out of the garden. And the whole Bible story then becomes this great journey to be back in that rest with God. That rest, that that eternal rest, that place of peace and happiness and everything being okay. Enjoying life with God again. And God called the promised land for the Israelites that he was taking them to, he called that also his rest. Because it would be their home, their place of peace, where they could live with God. And it would be a small picture of the final rest to come. And remember their their journey, it's just like the Christian life coming from from the the rescue with God, Jesus' death on the cross for us. And and we're on this journey and we're going to heaven and the new creation, that place of final rest. 
And the Israelites on their journey was just a picture. And what's the point that we learn from their journey? Well, those people who hardened their hearts towards God, they never entered the promised land. They never entered God's rest. It was a tragedy. And the warning is for us too. It happened in the past. It could happen again. It happened to others. It could happen to you. There's an end on our journey. It's what God has promised to us, the eternal rest, that place of peace and happiness and all things made right. It's, it's promised to us, but will we believe the promise and hold on to the end? Journeys are all about the destination, aren't they? You know, occasionally I'll, I'll choose the route that I'm driving because I want to sort of go on a new interesting road. You know, I might go on Winnet's Pass rather than Snake Pass. Or, you know, you, you sort of, um, but the, the, the reason is the end. You know, and that's what motivates us to keep going. Is it? Sometimes on those journeys you get caught in traffic and, oh, it's such a long journey, you know. But we're doing it because we're going on holiday or we're going back to our parents. Journeys are all about the destination. In the Christian life, we're on this journey. And we've got to keep the destination in sight. What God has promised to us. His rest. It's worth it. You know those examples of people giving up? I think as well as slowly drifting. They'd taken their eyes off the prize. They'd taken, uh, they're just looking at the, the present. Not thinking about the future. Their present life became more important. And we know how easy that is to do, isn't it? We don't judge them. We just see how easy it is for us all. Our thoughts, they get consumed with what's going on right now. This, this big move that we're going through, this exciting new job, this time of suffering, that mistake I made. And our minds are full of it in the present. And we forget that this is actually a journey. This is just the road we're on. To God's rest. Troubles along the way. And, and when we get there, we'll barely think about these things. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard in the moment. We can't think clearly. And so we need one another. We need each other to remind ourselves that we're journeying. To remind each other that the end will be worth it. Ultimately reminding each other to believe what God has promised. Imagine if we all did this. If we grew as a church that encouraged each other daily. And really helped each other along the journey. No one left to fall by the wayside. Imagine every morning texts just pinging around amongst the church family with encouragements to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Imagine people going in search of those that we're worried about, literally going and knocking on the doors. Imagine people having the courage to say something when we're worried about people. And imagine coming back all together and seeing one another in joy, seeing that we're still here 
And we're still journeying. And we're pushing on to the end together. Imagine what this church could be like. We can make it that if by God's grace we all play our part. Let's pray. Our Father, by your grace, please would you make us that church that looks out for each other and helps each other and makes sure none fall by the wayside. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to be open to your word and to believe your promises. And please, Lord, by your mercy, bring us on that last day into your rest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.